this episode contains content that may be distressing to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care. My name is Carla and this is The Plodcast. Hey everybody and welcome back to the podcast. We'll be taking a journey through some of Victoria's greatest war stories from the police veterans who live them and those who support them. Today I'll be joined by Drew Meller, Senior Police Chaplain for Victoria Police. A former emergency nurse, Drew is no stranger to assisting people in need through some of their darkest moments, having united the Victoria Police community on the force's darkest day, the Eastern Freeway tragedy. Morning, Drew. How are you going? Doing well, thank you. Good. Let's uh, let's pretend we weren't just in here talking about star signs. <laughs> everyone hey, listening, well, you're, you're the expert on star signs. You've you've thoroughly intrigued me, however. Yeah. So everyone listening, uh, Drew's a Taurus, uh, and his moon is in Gemini, and his house is Virgo. No, okay, I've forgotten already. But you've got you've got See, something interesting. And I thought in I lived in Croydon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, your your meta <laughs> metaphysical physi- physiological uh, your metaphysical okay. house is in Taurus. No, is in Gemini. You're a Taurus, and I'm a Pisces. Um, so you do realise you've just opened a doorway for me to say, but my faith tells me that my home is in heaven. Yeah, well, that's true. You can say so, that too. There's nothing stopping you from saying that. <laughs> you can say whatever you like, but star signs are are different. So uh, you are. Actually, another guest of mine that isn't a police veteran, um, but you work closely with police. So mm-hmm. can I ask first, why police chaplaincy um, and what does a police chaplain actually do? Well, probably I can answer the second question, which answers the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a police chaplain is a person who can confidentially and genuinely enter into conversation with people and in the process give them space to share the things that they need to share, whatever that might be at that particular time. And that's why I'm a police chaplain and that's why we have police chaplaincy because people will open up to someone who is genuinely going to hold confidence and will listen well. And we'll talk about that later, the idea of listening and listening well. I think that will actually be the title of this. And something we'll also talk about later is uh, the the traits that you already have um, from being an ED nurse, I assume, are quite transferable over to being a police chaplain. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So there's there's often a misconception that police chaplaincy is only for the religious. What, what would you say to that? Well, f- firstly... Police chaplaincy is for those who are religious, mm. but but not only. Exactly right. We we are for everybody. Mm. Police chaplaincy, or if I can personalise it, police chaplains have a a heart, a desire to to help assist journey with anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. We 
a chaplain will be able to focus on the agenda of the person that they're talking to and leave their own agenda aside. Mm. And if a chaplain can't do that, then they can call themselves a chaplain, but they're not a chaplain. That's what principally chaplains do. Uh, so I've forgotten the question. <laughs> so police chaplaincy. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. So okay. so because our, our, our heart, our passion, our desire is to help people Mm. living to their life, it it doesn't matter to us what their faith or lack of faith or spirituality or value system or worldview is. It, it, it is about helping them be the person that they believe they're, they're made to be. Mm. But I wonder where that misconception comes from in the first place. I've talked to people in the job currently who have said to me, Either they didn't know that this existed mm -hmm. in the first place or, oh, yeah, but I wouldn't use that because I'm, I'm not spiritual or I'm not religious. Mm. And I said, well, it, it's not just for that. You don't have to be a religious person. But how is it something that you learn over time how to or is this something kind of an innate thing where you're not focused on your own agenda and you're, you can still give help to people despite what they think? Is that something you kind of have to – is that something that gets better over time? I think it's something that gets better over time, but I would also say that who I am as a spiritual person helps me very much do what I just described chaplains do. Mm. Uh, one thing that uh, I know I spoke um, about when we were in another space last week uh, was being, being true to the core values that someone has, and that's really important for me. But my, my core values are around doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with my God. So for me, if I'm going to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with my God, then me walking humbly with God requires me to do justice for people, to love mercy with people. And I could do nothing other than respect their agenda and help them be the person that they want to be. It would be a breach of my core value. Mm. So it's not simply I've learned these things. It's actually part of who, who I am. I thought so. You definitely strike me as the sort of person where that is just innately within you. And I think people that go into this line of work, chaplaincy, that must be a trait that's innately within them mm. as well. I think you go into this profession because you were kind of born to do it. Um, and I know, again, like I said, we'll talk about this later, but being an ED nurse, they're, they're very similar in a way, I suppose, where you're giving that ultimate care to people that really, really, truly need it. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the most common things that people come to you about? Uh, the most common one is they want to talk over something and they've been told that chaplains will listen. So that would be the, the most common one. They might not use those words. They might introduce it that way. But when I unpack with them why they actually approach me or how did they connect with me, it is because someone has said, go to a chaplain, you can trust them. Go to a chaplain, they'll listen to what you've got to say. And my experience has been over the decades, because I've been a chaplain for over well 11 years, police chaplain, 
But prior to that, I've been a chaplain all of my adult life mm. uh, in one sector or another. And over the decades, uh, people have simply felt comfortable around a chaplain and to feel they can open up and and talk about the things that are on their mind and know they're not going to be judged. Or psychoanalyzed as well. Oh, indeed. Yeah, because I think the difference in people's minds between going to a chaplain and going to a psychologist is a psychologist is trained to untangle all of the things that you've just said and put it back to a way, put it back in a way to you uh, that makes sense in psychological ways, but chaplains don't have to do that. It's more like a you're being seen and being heard and I'm mm-hmm. validating you without I'm going to tell you what your problems are. Exactly right. But in, in, in agreeing with that, I'm also agreeing that there is very much a legitimate, genuine place for psychologists to engage. Definitely. And, and, and often chaplains become the first port of call for a person to start to unpack and feel comfortable and then feel comfortable that it's been a chaplain that's referred them to someone that can help them in more detail unpack those things. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to move on to something that's a little bit heavy. I'm aware that the people that are listening to this might find this kind of a difficult mm-hmm. conversation, but I wanted to talk about the Eastern Freeway tragedy. It's something that sparked quite a lot of calls for us at the time. We got a lot of referrals at that time for people that were distressed about the situation because it was the biggest loss of police mm. life um, at the time. Or in in general, yeah, yeah, at all. Um, And I know you and three other senior chaplains uh, were deployed initially to the workplaces of the four officers killed. So Senior Constable Lynette Taylor, Senior Constable Kevin King, Constable Glenn Humphreys and Constable Josh Presney. So an incident of this magnitude in the police family would have been difficult enough, but what is that first knock on the door like? Yeah. You're right. We were deployed first up to the workplaces. Uh, we're always with the intention, our place is to be with the families of those that had tragically died. Uh, I, I was actually on my way to one of the workplaces. I never got to the workplace then. I got a bit later that evening, but when I finally got the, the details of the family that I was to visit, uh, I turned around and then drove to their house. Uh, I attended the workplace that I was assigned to. Well, actually, I was the on-call chaplain, so I had assigned myself to it. Uh, later on that evening, early hours of the morning, I was... Chaplains engage significantly in the area of that knock on the door. Uh, chaplains mm-hmm. have a unique opportunity, not something that we want to have but when the need is there, it is a most privileged position of intimacy with a family on the worst day of their life. And what I realise that what I'm asking when, when I am at that door and knocking on the door, I'm asking that family to let someone into their safe space. Mm. And I'm aware of that. I, that's the thing that is foremost in my mind when I'm knocking on that door. I'm, I'm asking someone to let me into their safe space on the worst day of their night of their life to open up something that they don't want to open up, but they know they, they want to have to. Mm. 
And nothing can prepare you for doing that other than I know there is something of assistance that I can give them in that journey. Mm. But preparing to have to say those words to someone, you know, being that first person that's at the door, Mm -hmm. I assume that's something that never gets easier, but you do get more used to it as time goes on. Yeah, that's right. We get used to it. Uh, It's always done as a team. Uh, So within Victoria Police, uh, there is a, a senior ranking officer, often a second officer, and ideally the chaplain. And the, the, the initial words that are shared would be shared by the ranking officer. Mm. And the place of the chaplain is to support those officers doing that and to support the family that's receiving it and then to transition into pastoral care mm. as the ranking officer would make their leave. Mm-hmm. And what's supposed to happen is what happened on that night. And that's what the, the chaplains remained uh, for quite some time. Mm. It doesn't get easier, but the the capacity to be able to empathise and enter into the life of that family becomes something that we readily do rather than easily do. We readily do, and our experience prepares us for that, but it's not easy. No, never. But to be allowed into such an intimate space like that must be really, really special. Oh, uh, incredibly so. And that space means usually you are returning to that space over a a long period of time because Mm. you've spent time with a family around something that is probably going to never be matched in their lifetime for them. Mm. That kind of leads me on to asking you about that inner sanctum itself, Mm. especially for a family that's bereaved. There was a big media storm that came out of the the Eastern Freeway tragedy, which, which makes sense. But how, especially in that environment, how do you create the right environment for so much grief and what what can you do for people? Yeah. Creating an environment is for me allowing the the person or the people uh, and often it is the people because by the time we get there uh, or certainly in the time that we are there, there will be others there if they don't live as a family. Uh, The the creating the space is around allowing them, enabling them, really it's enabling them to to be themselves as as how they are now and to relax into what's good for them. And doing that requires being comfortable in silence, being comfortable in anger, being comfortable in significant grief and the emotions that might come with that along the lines of crying or sometimes people having their mind go in various places and so they're verbalising quickly and broadly 
and, and allowing that to happen, not trying to stop them or get them back to point. The mm. point is, where are you at at the moment? And allowing them, enabling them to express that. I think the best way to describe that is holding space. Mm-hmm. So yeah. holding the space for people to, like you said, express exactly what they need to in that moment without any, like you said, fear of judgment and being completely 100% in the moment and what they're feeling. But I can imagine that, you know, being around so many emotions all at once, being an empathetic person, mm. that must be a lot to process. It is a lot to process. Uh, there is an aspect of skills that are learnt to be able to sit at ease into that and lean. I, I use the term to lean into it. Mm. And and when you lean, and I'm physically doing it now, but you, <laughs> when you lean, you sort of lean in and you can lean out. Mm. And it's important to be able to lean in and lean out, both in terms of body language, but also tone and, and, and how you might come across to someone because everyone's going to be different and the the emotions of the time are going to be quite raw. So being in a position where you, you can, as best as possible, put that person at ease knowing they can be who they want to be there mm-hmm. and, and I will adapt. They don't have to adapt. So prior to being a police chaplain, like we were saying before, you were an ED nurse. Would you say, and this is kind of what I asked you before, but would you say a lot of the skills now were built on your work in a hospital and what kind of experience must you have working in an emergency Mm. environment? I I learnt a lot of pastoral skills from my formal training uh, that I had at uh, Theological College. I learnt a lot of pastoral skills from being in a large family and being very much a people person, so I was around a lot of people. But the most significant skill set that I learned for what I do as a chaplain pastor, so pastoral care, spiritual care of people, I learned from ED. I learned uh, skills related to people's trauma, emotion, response, anger, um, existential questions that are real for people about life and why and purpose and meaning and located in the trauma and the questions they will ask how how to respond to that to a range of people in an ED emergency department uh, you meet people across the, the spectrum of the community in, in a public hospital uh, ED mm. people who are would be some would see as being the high profile celebrities still come to ED and they can be sitting in the same waiting room but expecting better care than a person who would be on the other end of whatever spectrum you're talking about mm. and and I learned on the ground you know over those years to approach everyone the same way give them the attention that they deserve as an individual person, irrespective of what their background was, mm. and to lean into their experience, their moment, and professionally offer the the nursing care that I needed to offer. But alongside that was the other care that actually helped 
achieve the the health nursing outcome. Yeah, and when you mentioned existential, uh, God, I can't say that word. Being existential, because you would have been surrounded, I think, quite a lot, and you were talking about it last week. Um, being around death and having to be that first person that, and again, like being a chaplain, mm. being one of the first people to have to tell a family that one of their family members has passed away. Yeah. I don't even know how to even process that for myself. I couldn't imagine having to do that, but I think it takes a very special kind of person to work either in a, in a hospital um, as a paramedic, as a police officer, a chaplain, any of those people that have to be one of those, one of those people that breaks that news. It's, mm. it's horrible. You don't want to have to be that. You don't want to have to say those words, but someone's going to do it, right? Indeed. Now, now I don't want to, I don't want to not mention an aspect here. Uh, I am clearly a, a, a chaplain that comes from a religious background. So mm. I have a faith. I have a spirituality. Mm. Uh, I happen to be a chaplain who is a Christian by foundation, by um, decision on my part. Uh, so I've been formed in a Christian worldview uh, with a lot of Christians around me. Mm. Uh, I, I seek to live out my life in the way in which I see Jesus describe what it is to be a human being. Uh, having said that, uh, my approach to people is very much about their worldview or their values, as I've indicated before. But it is that the, my faith, my spirituality, is the foundation of who I am. So to a large degree, how I embrace what comes from people and from the experiences and, and why I'm able to do what I do is connected with my existential reasoning, to use that term, is connected with how I view life and the, the ongoing of life mm. and the place of God. Mm -hmm. So foundational to my own value system is great hope for a better life. Mm -hmm. that, that forms how I therefore approach others. I'm In that sense, I'm a very hopeful person. So it Absolutely. does actually help me in terrible, disastrous situations. I still genuinely am able to see something of hope, something better. And that does help me, mm. even in a, what's been a lifetime, really, of being around trauma and around um, significant disappointment for individuals. Mm. When you spoke to our VPSOs last week in training, mm. you spoke to them about the value of listening and yep. listening well. Is that acronym, your, your acronym, something that you teach often? And is it something that you can share yeah. with the people listening? <clears throat> because I found it helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, uh, it, it is something that I would model to people more so than teach. When I have opportunities to, to teach individuals so inducting new chaplains or uh, teaching others about what chaplains are involved in or with individuals who might ask, how do you do what you do, Drew? Uh, then um, I, would, I would explain aspects of that acronym. Uh, sometimes not go through the, the whole thing. The whole thing. But, uh, but what, is, what is relevant 
for them and for their situation and circumstance. Uh, I, I, what I what I the acronym is Doctor ABC and. And there you can see the influence of... You've just stolen something else. <laughs> That's right. It's not very original. It's not original at all. <laughs> I, it's, I, I, coming out of my emergency department nursing experience, I, for a season, became a St. John's first aid instructor. So we taught Dr. ABC. In fact, it then got changed twice, and so it became doctors, ABCD. D, yeah. Uh, so um, it, it is... It is something that I found helpful to make a connection with there's this physical response that you can do from a first aid to help people. What do I need to do to stay on track and and stay for the long term doing the things that I want to do? And that's really how I developed for me this Dr. ABC. Mm -hmm. But it's there's nothing there's nothing unique in that. If you un you know, um, unpack what those uh, letters mean. Uh, there'll be a whole range of others that would have another an acronym mm -hmm. uh, for for similar things that are spoken of there. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it is what I find helpful is to remind myself this is this is what I do for some self care, and then there's the the flip side of it or the mirror of that, helping others therefore do that by doing that with them. And and that is that's where I might model it, and I might use aspects of it to to help me listen to people. Mm. Uh, so, you know, to, just to explain um, the Doctor ABC, uh, first thing for me is to determine that I'm going to live out my core values. So, as a person, in in amongst a whole lot of things, myriad of things that can distract me or agendas that people might throw on me that I have to live, not about agendas that people share with me that they have to live. That's not an issue for me. But if people try to say, I have to be this way, I remind myself that I have, I've got core values and I, to the best of my ability, am going to live those core values. I will determine that that's how I'm going to live my life. What's my true north? Stick to that. Uh, and you know, I mentioned uh, for me, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with my God is, is an Old Testament way <clears throat> of, it's a Hebrew saying. Rocking it old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, to use the words of Jesus, when he was asked, he, his response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as you would love yourself. Mm -hmm. That, that, for me, is a, a brilliant way of summing up how we live life that is true to what we ought to be and living in harmony with other people. You know, loving, loving God with everything that you can, be the person, in my sense, my worldview that I've been created to be, but loving others as I love myself is a very... Uh, very strong, bold desire. It, it is it is giving value and worth to people. That's in a way that says, when I love myself, I need to love others with that similar intensity, genuine love, which means I am not better than them, and that that has a. Um, 
It compels me to behave in a certain way. Not because someone's told me I have to behave that way, but because that is the best way for me to behave that is true to my core value. Mm -hmm. um, the, the R is to relax into the enjoyable. Um, sometimes people tell me, Drew, you veg out too much. I, there's lots, lots in our world that we can enjoy. And sometimes it's the most simple things. And so I determine uh, if I'm gonna live to my core values, then I need to relax into what is enjoyable, what is life giving for me from time to time so that I can be prepared for the difficult times that will come with me living out my values. Because sometimes when you live out your values, you're at clash with, in a clash with someone. So I have to relax into the things that are gonna give me great enjoyment. And I'm, I'm not a hedonist, but I... No uh, one's I've, feeding you grapes. No, no. <laughs> but I think it's also uh, okay for me to feed myself grapes. And, and just to finish off the acronym, uh, the, uh, the importance of accessing genuine, honest, accurate information because there's plenty of other information that people will give you. And so I, I look for accuracy in what I'm receiving. Uh, and sometimes that is easy to find. Other times it can be a real challenge. Uh, and the B, beware of living in your head 24-7. I'm a bit of a strategist, which means I... I can see something, experience something, and if I'm not careful, I can quickly go to thinking things through. And so if I'm gonna stay in the space with the person, then I, I need to intentionally put aside those things that might be uh, occupying my mind. And I will uh, therefore not go down the path of the worst case scenario, because when you're strategizing, you tend to go, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? I better work that out. If I'm under stress, I won't, I won't get a move away from the worst case scenario. Mm. Uh, so I will then uh, spend time making sure that I don't spend lots of time in my head so that I can move on to the things that are going to be life-giving. So there's a section of the podcast, it's a new section. Um, I like to call it Explain That Photo. So <laughs> yeah. we look at a photo of yours that needs some more context. Um, and for the people listening, I'll put it in the show notes. But could you, let me get into my phone first. Could you explain this photo? That photo. Yeah, it, it's a photo that was taken uh, at Malacuta uh, in the second week of January 2020, which was uh, just after the significant uh, sea evacuation of Malacuta. Uh, because they were bound in by fires. And uh, I was uh, dropped in by the Air Force uh, in the end of the first week of, of January. And I met uh, David uh, Goodnick, who is a Defence Force chaplain, who happens to be a rabbi. And the photo you can see is Hamaka. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was my meeting with him. We'd never met before. Uh, we met uh, out in the community. And uh, that was a, a natural welcome embrace uh, that was both one of strength, but one of 
embracing the the unity that we shared around serving people who were facing significant trauma and had experienced significant events over those previous you know, 10 days. Uh, it's, it, it's a photo for me that also depicts what chaplaincy is about. Chaplaincy is about the, the desire of people from different backgrounds who don't necessarily uh, come from the context that we are now finding ourselves in, but we seek to put aside our agendas so that we can enter into the agenda of the people that we we're meeting. Mm -hmm. And that day was the day that a, a convoy was being prepared and the first convoy leaving Malakuta by road. They were going to be driving out through significant burnt environments. Um, there were kids in cars, so adults, older adults, younger adults. They were going to be moving through territory that would be incredibly confronting and bring back a whole lot of trauma for them. Uh, they would go out through uh, an environment and through land that when they drove in with their caravans, uh, it would have been pristine and beautiful. And mm. they had a long journey of, of pain and trauma in the confines of a car. Mm. And as chaplains, we were aware of that. And so we just moved up and down that line, uh, talking with people and allowing them just to share what are they, what are they ex expecting that they're going to encounter mm. and offering something that might help them, for them, uh, stay in touch with what is real for them, not what the environment was telling them was going to be uh, the rest of their life. Um, they, were moving, they were going to move through territory, but they were going to move home back home so they were going somewhere that was going to be better and in the middle of that I encountered David and that embrace was a genuine embrace of we're here together from different backgrounds in a context that is not ours but it's theirs and mm. and we'll serve them and that's what that's what chaplaincy is about and I think for people who weren't even involved with that, even just going through that space, it's devastating as a human to see nature mm. ravage like that. Mm. Even if, you know, you weren't a part of it, yep. that is still horrifying. We don't want to see our earth like that. Indeed. Yep. This is something I ask people on this podcast quite a lot, but how, how would you like to see our approach to mental health change? I'm being cautious around what I say because I think there's been significant advances in, in recent years. So do I. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to be saying something that takes away the, the appropriate genuine gains that we've got. Mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, the changes that are going to be helpful are continuing the process, the trajectory that we're on. Mm. The providing opportunity for people to live into it's okay to not be okay and to be genuine about that. Providing opportunities for people to put their hand up and say, um, you know, last year when 
I had the heart attack and everyone understood that I had a heart attack and there were some things therefore I needed to put in place so that physically I could actually recover and get back to work. Yep, yep, and yeah, we, all, we all got around you. Well, my heart's not broken at the moment, but, but it feels like my head is at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I need the same consideration. I need the same support. I need the same backup. I need the same space and resources and I need the same people who would jump in to bring meals and do your backyard, lawn mowing and all the stuff that people will do when someone has a physical breakdown, when someone in their headspace is having a significant challenge to actually have an attitude where they're to do the same thing because it's a different part of the human being, but it's the same or a similar issue. Mm -hmm. I would love to see us move more and more into that trajectory so that people embrace the wholeness of who we are and see that we are an integrated being. And when our headspace is not where it, it needs to be for who I am, then it affects me physically just like physically affects where my headspace is. Mm. I see see much more over the 11 years that I've been with VicPol. I've seen an approach change. I would just like to see us do more down that path. Yeah, I think continue to improve. We, like you said, in my lifetime, we have come such a significant way, Um, even in the past five years Mm -hmm. or so. The conversations that I've started to see happen, even... I was talking to someone yesterday and they described seeing their psychologist as going to the head doctor. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Mm -hmm. that's funny and also true because this is just addressing um, something, you know, that we should be addressing like physical issues. It's it's the same. Mm. It's not the same, but we should be seeing it in the same way. Indeed. And I don't know how many times Mm. I can have this conversation with multiple people and it's all the same when we talk about it. Yep. I, I wish we could, like you said move into a society where these these issues are just seen in the same way as breaking your arm or, you know, having a problem with your heart mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I, and I think we'll get there. I do really feel that. I believe that pretty strongly. I, I also think that more needs to be done, which is along the lines of, of the direction we're going, for a workplace to, to uh, actively encourage and utilize resources that are available and by that I don't simply mean the formal resources although they are important to be used Mm -hmm. but to utilize the resources that are within the workplace so are empowering and encouraging colleagues to appropriate where it's appropriate appropriately involve and engage Uh, an underutilized resource in some workplaces is peer support. Mm. And I think in some workplaces it's underutilized because the peer support officers are not recognized as people who can get alongside people before it becomes an issue. Uh, So um, I see stations that embrace their peer support officers that will give them time and space to engage with members 
and to get some upskilling and to have conversations at a, a, a personal development um, level for themselves so that they're in a better place to be able to offer within the workplace. And where I see that happening in, in that workplace, uh, there's there's just a, a, a better culture, a better feel, a, a better atmosphere for it's okay to, to actually, actually it's more than okay, it's it's desired that people will get alongside each other mm. and it's okay to have, have some time out over there and have a conversation without the pressure coming upon them. You know, if, if, if someone was taking some time out to work on a on a brief oh, that's an important thing to do we've got to get to a point where it is actually the content of a lot of the briefs that cause the trauma to our members so it's got to be okay mm. to actually invest time in helping them in their mental preparation and mental sustainability and therefore mental health so that they can continue doing what they're doing. Mm. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to do the the tasks that policing need to do. So as a final question, this one kind of stumps people. I'm not sure why, but I ask people what's next for them. Now mm. you look stumped. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no, it hasn't stumped me. I had an interesting conversation with someone just over the weekend uh, who, who asked me, so when are you going to retire? I'm 62. So mm. uh, in Victoria Police, a lot of people start to wrap up their life, it seems, around that. And I'd like to have, I'd like to think I've got five more years at least mm. of doing what I'm doing. Oh, this isn't a retirement uh, question. This is like, <laughs> have you got anything cool coming up? <laughs> oh, that sort of question. Yeah, I'm not like, are you retired? No. Oh. <laughs> um I, uh, I, let me, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think whether I can say it or not. You see, look, listen, at a purely personal, sustainable level for Drew Mellor, the individual who's a senior <laughs> police chaplain, uh, we've just gone through a panelling process for a third chaplain. I'm looking forward to whoever that chaplain is, uh, bringing that person, doing the best I can do to bring them into our team environment. I'm looking forward to helping them be inducted into uh, the organisation and to get to know people, to take their place within the team and for us to get into a better rhythm that allows me to do some cool stuff that's a bit a bit more downtime. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to then get into a rhythm where we can get some recovery time and be available when significant things happen where it's all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And that's much more sustainable when, when there's three of us than when there's two of us. Totally, yeah, uh, share the workload. So um, that, that is first and foremost, uh, is there something cool coming up? <laughs> yep, another person. Good, good. <laughs> Well, that's cool. It is. That's very cool. And then the other part following on from that is that I will get to spend some more cool time at our beach house. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, where was it you mentioned? I can't remember. Um, You like to spend a lot of time with your grandkids. My grandkids. Yeah. We do. Uh, And uh, our grandkids like going to the beach house. It's... uh, Sweet win-win. 
<laughs> it is indeed. And uh, to be able to uh, have have those special times and and have the the photos that go with it. Mm. And on the on the weekend, I had a weekend off, mm. and that's that's a rarity. But it was a good one, and I got the weekend off. Um, it, 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 I was still technically on call, but I didn't get a call out. That's a good weekend when I don't get yeah. a call out because it means our members are doing a little bit better. Hmm. Uh, but I actually spent some time on the balcony uh, on the weekend flicking through my phone at the photos of the grandkids at the house where I was Aww. and realising I love being down here with them. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to more cool times that way. Oh, I love those moments. Okay, well, cool. Um, thank you uh, for coming down today, Drew. This was a really nice conversation. Pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No and, worries. Uh, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, I, I, I want to add something by, by finishing, and that is what Police Veterans Victoria is doing is, is at the heart of what is at my heart? We've got men and women who have given significant amount of time serving our community and what they have encountered and what they've experienced has been confronting over, for some of them, multiple, multiple decades. And they're not, they're not asking for something that is rightly theirs. The way I see it, they have served us well. And if there's anything that we as a community, me as an individual can do to recognise, appropriately recognise what they've contributed and therefore part of what they're going through has come from what they've been doing and to support and assist, then I will do it. And I, I, I hope that uh, there is going to be more resourcing that will come for Police Veterans Victoria to recognise and therefore support um, our veterans who, by and large, they get by because of the community of comrades that are around them. And in part people like yourself and others from Police Veterans Victoria who are, are working on the smell of an oily rag really, yep. <laughs> in order to do what's got to be done to, to demonstrate to our veterans your contribution has been significant and you are not forgotten. It, it's hard to, to live into you are not forgotten when... Sometimes it will feel to them like they have been. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, what I, whatever I can do, I will do. But it's, it's, it actually requires a community of people to do this, which includes our government. It includes our members, our current members. It includes a whole range of people who can uh, contribute in such a way that uh, this cohort of people that we call our veterans are actually valued and, and it's demonstrated that they're not forgotten, that they're not doing this alone. Mm. I couldn't agree more. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, 
Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Police Veterans Victoria, or head over to our website, www.policeveteransvic.org.au. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.